0: A lot of copywriters start out doing copy as a side hustle while they work at a real job. And as the work piles up, they quickly realize that they could probably be making more money doing the side hustle full-time. That's what happened to today's guest of the Copywriter Club podcast, Juliette Pier started a blog as a side hustle, got a bit of traction, and then started doing copy projects all while working her full-time job. Then she realized that what she was making as a freelancer was double the hourly rate she had in her real job, so it was time to jump. Juliet shared how she made the jump. Plus, she also told us about feeling trapped in a niche, how she sets boundaries, and her unique approach to making connections on LinkedIn. But before we get to our interview, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who want to do more in their business, whether it's something like stepping out on stage, creating a new product, your own podcast or video channel, building an agency, a product company, anything like that. Maybe you just want to become the best known copywriter in your niche that's the kind of stuff that we help copywriters do in the think tank to learn more visit copywriterthinktank.com and fill out the application there and before we get to the interview i also need to introduce my co-host for this episode nikita Morrell. nikita is known as the copywriter for architects she was our guest on this podcast a long time ago it was episode 136 she's a former member of the think tank And I'm just excited to hang out with you for 30 minutes again. Nikita, thanks for joining me and welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Rob. I can't believe it's uh, been so long. It's been a while.
0: (laughs) It's been way too long. I've been watching what you do on LinkedIn and on your list. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about niching, I think, later on here. But um, you really, truly have done an amazing job niching your business and filling a need and, and finding a spot for you that's very unique, I think, in the world of copywriting.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rob. And I'm I'm really excited to talk about Juliet's story today because I think um, I identify with lots of different things that she's gone through. Um, so yeah, excited to get stuck into it.
0: Well, fantastic. Let's kick our episode off then by listening to the first half of our interview with Juliet.
2: I guess how I ended up in copywriting was that I loved writing, like, all copywriters do. I got my degree in journalism because I felt like that was a smart and practical thing to do. I thought maybe I would go into politics or journalism or even have a talk show someday or something. I felt like college was that time to get that smart degree. Um, I, after college found myself in a lot of marketing slash receptionist jobs. I didn't really get the marketing jobs that I thought I was getting because they would be presented as a marketing job. And then in reality, it would be, you know, a small business that needs that two in one. So I did gain good experience from that. Um, but I also didn't know how to get what I wanted out of those experiences because I was young. I was told you work somewhere for 30 years. If you do all the grunt work, you get promoted. Um, and I kind of just went by that typical corporate advice. And also that the degree was like the checkmark. Um, After a few years of doing that, I decided I really want to do writing. And every time I send my resume to agencies, they say, where is your portfolio? And I keep coming up with nothing. So I decided to finally do something about it. And I just started writing on medium.com. I started writing on LinkedIn. I eventually decided to hone in a little bit on one topic. So I started a blog um, in my hometown, which I live in Greenville, South Carolina. So the blog was called greenvilleenthusiast.com. Um, around that time COVID hit. And so when everything got shut down, I had been doing like restaurant reviews and then was thinking, well, how am I going to keep making use of this if I can't go anywhere other than do some takeout stuff? Um, So I pivoted and decided to do a small business campaign. So I did Faces of Small Business um, and I would kind of highlight the family profiles behind these restaurant owners that were reacting to COVID. Later, I did a series called Faces of Black Business to show where we could support Black families and Black business owners, um, and that got a lot of traction from my blog, which was really exciting. I picked up some freelance work along the way. I was doing that from like 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. I did finally get a full-time marketing job and thought, this is it. I did that from 9 to 5, but then after a year of doing both freelancing and full-time marketing, I decided to take the leap into freelance copywriting I'm still here. I'm loving it. I've struggled with everything that every copywriter has as far as choosing their niche or finding their niche and kind of nailing that down. Um, But long story still long, that is my copywriting journey.
0: Okay. I have a couple of really quick follow-up questions. Uh, Best burger in Greenville, like your food reviews.
2: Oh, that's such a good question. I Oh man, I feel like I owe it to my local community to choose a local place, but it's not coming to mind. So I'm going to have to cop out and say, I really like either five guys or bad daddies.
0: (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Um, What I really want to ask is back when you're thinking about doing a talk show, like what, like tell me about the ideation there. Like, what did you want to talk about? Is it just general stuff or did you have something specific?
2: I didn't have anything specific. I just know they had one of these huge posters of like why you should major in communications. and one of the things on like the bullet points on that board was talk show. And I thought like, Ooh, I could be Oprah or Ellen or be on the view or something like I'm a chatterbox. And that seems like a perfect fit for me to just have a job talking. I do feel like I, when I had the blog, I did try to pivot it into an interview and I did maybe two episodes and was like, I don't like this. It's a different type of stress for me. So people have said before, why don't you host a podcast? And I'm just like, I don't know. It just, it didn't land.
3: Okay. So when did you make the transition and go full-time in your copywriting business?
2: Yes. that So that was June, 2020 is when I took the leap of faith. Yeah.
3: Okay. And then when was the moment where you felt like, okay, I can really do this thing. This is real. Do you remember context or any specific moments or details around that?
2: Yeah. So also I will say, I think it was actually June, 2021. So my bad, um, June, 2021, but yeah, the catalyst for me being able to go out on my own was for one, just the burnout and the exhaustion of trying to do it all do everything. I had a friend ask, um, you know, how much are you making on on your freelancing? And I didn't, I hadn't really calculated it to me. every, Every project was just kind of exciting extra pocket money. But I think when I calculated how much I was making in that 10 hours a week, the hourly rate was at least double what I was making full time in corporate America. And then I also signed a ghostwriting book deal that was going to be at least like four to six months of a pretty hefty retainer client. So that helped me feel like it was financially viable to take the leap.
0: And we tell us what kinds of work are you doing in your business right now?
2: So now I do, I focus on websites, sales pages, and emails. I either write people who already have a very strong voice, they're outspoken and they're ambitious, Um, but I've also pivoted into personal brand coaching for, so for the people that need help with just getting more ideas about how they can show up personally and be themselves in their brand, I help them with their foundational story, sometimes with their LinkedIn profile and then some kind of content marketing ideas after that too.
3: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the coaching that you're doing. But first, just um, I'm curious, like, what are some of those initial mistakes that you made early on that you feel like, oh, I wish I could have avoided that or I wish, you know, I could share this with someone else so they can avoid this?
2: Yeah, I think it's twofold. The mistakes that I think I realized was one, it's nice to be the go to copywriter in a small pool But if you need to graduate, you need to graduate. Um, And that's something that I would struggle with, is I would have a reputation in, in a Facebook group where I would get tagged a million times, but those were for like $200 clients. And eventually that just wasn't sustainable anymore. But I felt such loyalty that, you know, well, I need to keep my prices low for this community or for this Facebook group or whatever. Um, And I think that held me back a little bit too long. So I would say, you know, raise your prices, graduate when you need to, even at the sake of loyalty, you'll find new people that love to work with you. Um, And then the second one was stressing out about a niche. Because for me, it took me a long time to realize that I just like writing for people. I like the personality that comes with brand voice work. I really got caught up in thinking like, well, B2B is so lucrative or working with tech companies is lucrative. Writing for apps is lucrative. And I felt like that was just what copywriters did. And that's what the successful ones did. So I had to do that too. And I hated that. So I feel like this is like everyone's permission to just do what you enjoy doing. Some people are money and financially driven. And so they, they choose to go that route and they enjoy it. Other Others of us, I feel like, that are a little bit more heart-centered feel less than for some reason, and we shouldn't have any reason to feel that way. I say do what you love and write the copy that fires you up.
0: So as you talk about that, you know, struggles with pricing or moving beyond a community and combined with niching, uh, it's kind of an intersection of finding clients. So tell us a little bit about how you found those initial clients. And I know sometimes it's been an up and down, you know, the that we still, all of us, sometimes struggle to fill that pipeline. So talk to us just some of your strategies for making sure that you've got clients coming in the door as often as possible.
2: Strategies for getting clients in the door. So one thing that I have finally done is I'm now proactive with my marketing. I used to be extremely reactive. I would wait to be tagged in a Facebook post. I would, you know, kind of sit around the group's I would look at job boards. I would just kind of hope for what was out there. Now, my strategy is primarily focused on LinkedIn, and I do have a tool that I use called dripify.io that sends out connection requests at the very minimum. Sometimes I'll send a message with it. You have to be careful with automation tools um but i do like to kind of keep tabs on on making connections strategically with the clients that i would like to work with and then i also post much more i'm visible much more i'm ready to be everywhere um so i've been on some great podcasts in this past year i'm looking to do more speaking engagements and it's really just about showing up in the right places and and bringing something of value as an expert and an authority instead of just sitting and hoping and waiting that somebody will will tag you. And I know that's a question every new copywriter asks. It's like, where do I find the best clients? And it's kind of like it's everywhere, but you have to show them what you can deliver.
3: How did you make that switch, you know, mindset wise from reactive to proactive? Because even listening, it's easy to say, well, yes, Juliet's right. I should be visible. I should show up on LinkedIn. I should do all these things. But it's really hard to make that switch.
2: Tracking was part of it. I know that for me, I felt like Instagram was the way. And so I went all in and in creating content on Instagram, I spent maybe three months, like really just zoned in on Instagram, and I got more um, followers out of it, but nobody converted to a lead. And so for me, I felt like I was like watering a dead lawn. (laughs) And that was kind of just unfulfilling and depressing for me. Um, And once I switched to LinkedIn, that just went that just went better for me. I felt like I was talking to people that had a business mindset and they were ready to work together. Um, I think just experience the better that I knew what my offers were. It was easier to just kind of present my offers over and over and over again, instead of just seeing what was showing up on my feed. It's almost just getting more focused, knowing what you want. When you know what you want, it's easier to go out and get it and look for it. Um, and make those connections. And also the mindset that like not everybody is ready for copy the second you connect with them. So I never send a hard pitch, I will be open to like a networking call, I always ask just like, what's your life story. And then I share my life story. And it's very low risk. But I feel like sometimes copywriters get trapped in the mindset that like, you really have to twist somebody's arm that they need copy and that they need to hire you to do their website, you know, or their emails, but like if they don't want it, they don't want it. So just wait till they're ready and make good out of the connection while you have the time, make a good first impression. And when they're ready, they'll come back to you later.
0: So can you share the specific connection request that you make or your initial outreach in LinkedIn? What exactly are you asking? Does it differ every time? What does that look like?
2: So one thing that's worked for me that is very personal is I'm a total music nerd. I love music. And a lot of the people that I connect with, they're speakers. And so the question that I'll ask them is I'll just say, you know, Hey, it's great to connect with you after they've accepted the connection request. And I'll say, do you have a song that gets you really pumped up to go on stage? Or I'll ask what's a motivational song I should add to my playlist if they're not necessarily a speaker. Um, Sometimes I'll ask like, what's your theme song? I've always did some type of variation on that question. And I've had lots of responses and some people that will kind of continue the conversation and, It's just a fun, very low risk way to have one super small touch point. That's not something that people are going to feel gross about or feel like it's disingenuine. And also, if they don't respond, I'm not worried about it.
0: Yeah, I like that idea of making the personal connection. And then how long until you start to turn that into talking about business and possibly even making a pitch?
2: I don't have any type of like diligent strategy after that, because again, if they're not ready, I don't feel like I need to, to promote that to them. I will sometimes if we're having a fun conversation, like if they respond and say like, Oh, what a fun question. A lot of times people will say like, I've never had such a fun LinkedIn introduction. Um, And then I might say, I'd love to hear your life story. If you want to jump on an actually social call, that's what I call it actually social because we're on social media, but we're not actually social. So that's how I branded it. Um, and I'll just tell them, I just want to hear your life story, no sales, no pitches. And again, it's another low risk offer to just enter another touch point. Um, and then from there, they at least know that I'm, I'm a copywriter and that's enough of a pitch in itself. I feel like for them to remember who I am and what I do.
3: Yeah, and who doesn't want to share their life story or get a chance to just talk? Do you keep that limited to 10, 20 minutes? You know, how do you manage it so it doesn't get out of hand? It's 15 minutes because 15. I
2: feel like that's the perfect enough time for both of us to share. I think I originally had them 30 minutes, but I could tell after the 15 minute off or after the 15 minute time stamp, you're kind of just like trying to fill time for another 15 minutes. And yeah, I just keep it to 15 minutes, make it quick and dirty.
3: Okay. And then um getting in the weeds, but how many people are you adding on a weekly basis? Or are you, what's your strategy with, with connections, connection requests?
2: I'm not sure the exact number. I think it's probably somewhere from 30 to 50 new people. And again, that's just automated. I used to try to sit down and look up coaches or life coaches or ADHD coaches and look at their profile and spend so much time trying to send like the most personal Message ever, and that was such a time suck that now it's so helpful to just have it kind of running in the background.
0: So I want to go back to one of the projects that you started out with. You mentioned that you were ghostwriting a book first. Did the project happen? And talk to us about that. What did that look like time wise? I know it was the first time you ever did it, so I'm guessing it wasn't you know a sixty thousand dollar you know book writing project. But just tell us about that and you know the, the results from that project.
2: Yeah, it was a great project. So it was intimidating for one, just to be like, oh my goodness, I'm writing a book for someone, but it was also extremely fun to just get inside their head. So I just structured it as an hourly retainer. So it was 20 hours a month, at hundred an hour. Um, And so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a huge retainer, but it was enough to feel like I could fill the rest of my time with other projects and kind of do it at the same time. Um, It was almost VIP structured a little bit where I would have a couple hours with the person I was writing for. I would ask them lots of questions. um, And then I would kind of go into my writing cave for two weeks or so and write the next few chapters. Then we'd meet again, talk about the next few things. Then I would go in my cave and write the next few chapters. (laughs) Um, And then near the end, there was lots of revising and lots of editing um, just to kind of make everything cohesive and and flow through as a whole book.
3: And do you still offer that, that type of
2: package? I don't, because if I were to offer it again, I do think I would double the price. It is a lot of time to spend working on a project like that. There is so much editing that needs to happen to really make a book cohesive. Um, and if I were to do it again, it would have to be the only project on my desk because I think... Some people thrive on retainers and tracking their time, but for me, I really don't. So, for me, it was hard to feel like I need to be all in on another project to make this month's rent, but also know that I have hours to fill. Um, And so, it's not something that I specialize in. I enjoy it because I do like to pretend that I'm, yeah, I like to be one with my clients and pretend that I'm being them. Um, so I enjoyed the thought of the work, but that intensive of a project just isn't my number one offer.
3: Well, and I'm also thinking, I feel like in your brand and how you help your clients, it's all about kind of being, you know, being yourself and being different and embracing your personality and doing things your own way. And so I feel like, Knowing you in your business, you also are doing things your own way and not necessarily like breaking rules, but you're just thinking differently and you're really good at rejecting ideas or concepts that just don't work for you, even if it seems like every other copywriter is doing it. So I just wonder if there are a couple other rules or like beliefs that you find that a lot of copywriters buy into that you don't buy into.
2: I would say one of the biggest rules that I break at least in the personal branding world, which I think is very adjacent to copywriting work because every copywriter has a brand and all of my clients that I work with have a personal brand. And so much of the personal branding world is all about like, put your best foot forward and like be how your audience wants you to be. And I'm like, no, don't Frankenstein yourself for your audience. Like, yes, you need to have people that you're connecting to. But I think that when we have an identity driven business and you feel good about yourself and you feel like you have the autonomy to run your business the way that you want to, that you can, you know, think and speak the way that you want to. You're going to find people that are going to be aligned with that, and they're going to become your biggest raving fans and probably your best clients. Um, and so, I feel like that's a big rule that I break in the personal branding world: is instead of making your brand about your audience, your brand should be about you. People are going to work with you because you're you. So be yourself.
0: So let's go deeper on that. What is the process for doing that? For flipping what a lot of other people are doing on their head, so you're pulling out of me. You know, if you're hire, if if I'm hiring you to to work on the brand of Rob, uh, you know, what are you doing so that I can step forward? And it's not just about ah oh, the Copywriter Club or oh the SaaS clients that I want to work with and so on.
2: I'm getting so personal. I ask so many questions and. My friend Joe Mares is a game designer, and he talks about how just like the source of knowledge can sometimes get in the way. And so when we think of ourselves, we know a lot about ourselves, but we don't think it's interesting. So I come in as kind of an outside source, and I ask, like, what makes you cry? And you'd be like, well, why would I ever share that? Or, you know, what's a challenge that you faced this week? What's a really big disappointment that you had in life? Um, I just ask questions that people wouldn't think to share openly. Um, and it is a little bit of a blurred line between like, why am I asking you this and where is it going to show up in your copy? And that's the fun of the discovery and the fun of the identity work is remembering those kind of fun facts about you that you can kind of pull out and then decide to start sharing and crafting your brand
3: around those things. I think you should ask Rob some of those questions right now. Let's yeah, I,
0: I figured you were going to say, Kara, what is Rob, what makes Rob cry? And I would just have to say, I, I never cry. I don't have feelings. So yeah, that, that question's a bust for me, but maybe I could get into some <laughs> of the others.
3: I was going to say, maybe, maybe I've made you cry um, at some point. I do. I
0: cry in a, in a desperate attempt to get your approval. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a weekly thing. But, oh,
3: yeah, what, you know, what else? Two
0: sides of my personality.
3: What else brand voice wise? So if I, I mean, I work in brand voice too. Um, I'm always looking for new ways to approach the work. What else are you maybe experimenting with or what else beyond the personal questions? What's really helped you feel like, okay, I'm nailing this. My clients are happy. I know I'm um, helping them figure out their voice.
2: Yeah, so I also get really nosy. And so I'll look at their social media. I'll even look if I can at especially on LinkedIn, like their activity, because I can see where they're commenting on other people's posts. And so I can tell when they're giving messages that is a little bit more curated, and they're trying to sound more professional. They're trying to sound fancy, they're talking about their services or their offerings. And a lot of people shift into marketing speak kind of easily because they are seeing it all the time. I try to pull out things that I think are working well, not necessarily from an engagement perspective. Like I'm not going to look through and say like, oh, well this is performing the most well, but I can see, okay, here's very similar posts that you made. This one, you were really personal and you shared why this is important to you. And this one you just shared because you kind of felt like you should. Um, So I have a client that I'm working with right now in personal brand coaching, and he works in insurance. And so there's some posts that he'll share where he went to a networking event, he caught up with a buddy, he's going to be talking about, like, how they had a great time, how long they've known each other, what they're working in, how they're, like, what their future plans are. Um, And it's, it's really personal content. And then he'll have another post that's almost exactly the same. That's just kind of like, had a good time, (laughs) like, you know, and it's, And maybe tag the tag, the event and I'm going to look through the lens of personal branding and say like, okay, this is the one that you want to do more of. Just take a moment when you're ready to post and think through, you know, why did I really enjoy this and what can I speak to? That's going to be a little bit deeper than just like, Hey, I went to a thing.
0: And when you're thinking through that, when you're thinking like deeper, Obviously, there are a lot of different ways to to look at that lens. It's not just like what made you cry, or, or it's emotional, but there are other approaches there as well. And I'm I'm wondering because you post quite a bit on LinkedIn, your own content. Like, how do you apply that idea into your own business when you're thinking about okay, what am I going to share? How vul- vulnerable do I get? Uh, you know, where do you draw those lines around your own content creation?
2: Okay, this is a great question because. Y'all know me, I'm very much into celebrity culture. And so for everybody that goes into sharing more personal content, you have your own comfortability of what risk you want to take. And so for me, I am always open to knowing that like, what Juliet thinks now is not the same of what I thought 10 years ago, and it might not be the same of what I think 10 years in the future. So I think Be mindful of what you're willing to be canceled for. (laughs) If you want to post strong opinions, also be willing to say, I've changed my mind. I've learned new things. Um, And then also know yourself well enough to realize if you're projecting or sharing for validation. Like if you need to go to therapy, go to therapy. Don't hire a personal brand strategist (laughs) to just like air your laundry or to, you know, be a jerk and like use your voice in destructive ways. Um, I feel like it's important to be self-assured and know what you're comfortable with. And also realize how you're going to react to people disagreeing with you. Because I also see it's one thing to share a strong opinion and just post it out there. It's another to be doing damage control or to honestly back down. And that's one something that that's something that I find a little bit disappointing. Is someone will share a strong opinion and then they'll appease everybody in the comments or they'll keep fighting with everybody in the comments. And I'm kind of like, find a middle ground somewhere between those two things because your personal brand and the way that you present yourself online can have good consequences or bad consequences and just be mindful of what that can mean for how you feel about what you're doing.
3: What would you recommend to one of your clients if they were posting a strong opinion, strong viewpoint And, um, they weren't quite sure. And all of a sudden they get comments, maybe both directions. How would you advise them to handle it? So it is in the middle ground where you're not just surrendering and giving up, but you're not fighting with everyone.
2: I would advise them to stand their ground kindly. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is, are you at least being respectful of other people and also sharing more insights? If they have a strong opinion that they can back, then back it. If they have a strong opinion that they can't back, then they, I think, should be a little bit more open to hearing other people's experiences. And I will say, even though it's one person's personal opinion, if you're encroaching on someone else's personal life, then that's not really your territory. I think empathy is still extremely important in this conversation of personal branding. Um, but at the same time, like, don't be afraid to shine your light and shine it as bright as you want to, especially in your own platform.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Okay, so many really good, insightful things that Juliet shared and we've asked about. Let's just talk about a couple of them, Nikita. What stood out to you from what Juliet has been sharing so far?
1: Yeah, so oh, there's so many great things, but I think um, what I really identified with was how niching really made her feel boxed in. Um, you know, she felt like she had to do a lot of things because others had done it, you know, whether it's starting a blog or... Um, yeah, so I, I think... I, what I really loved is how Juliet says, you know, everyone has permission to just do what they enjoy doing. Um, I've always seen niching almost as like three things, you know, you've got to have that passion, you've got to have the profit, but also have proficiency in what you do. And I think Juliet really nails this idea of really leaning into what you love
0: so when when Juliet started talking about this and I was thinking okay who should I invite to you know, on to the show to talk about this I immediately as soon as I start thinking about copywriting and niching your name comes to mind because you have done this so well in your business right from the beginning as I mentioned in the introduction you're known as the copywriter for architects and so many people that we talk to so many copywriters who are starting their own business they think like well, I can't niche I, you know I'm going to get bored I, you know, I'm giving up way too much other opportunity and I I would just love to chat about this a little bit more. Obviously people can go back and listen to what we shared in our podcast interview with you a while ago, but do you get bored writing for architects? Like, have you felt all boxed in by this? Talk a, a little bit about that process
1: yeah definitely and look i'll be completely honest um you do i mean you're at a niche and especially um over the years and maybe juliet will find this too you you get more and more laser focused um because you realize your niche is maybe not even small enough so you can go smaller and smaller but look you do have moments where you feel boxed in and especially you know when you're part of um communities like the copywriter club you look around and people are doing really cool things in different industries so you you know it can be tempting to try and um, look outside. But with niching, obviously, um, you know, there's lots of different ways to niche, whether it's by service or by industry. But for me, I've got, um, you know, experience in the industry. And definitely what I recommend is that you can look, you know, for example, if you're doing um, servicing architects, you can look a bit outside the architecture field. You know, you might do property developers or 3D visualisation software. So outwardly, it looks like you're just you know, servicing one niche, but internally it's not stopping you from doing multiple things. You know, you're not married to your niche. If the niche isn't working out for you, pivot, try something different. Um so yeah, I think look, as Juliet said, you can feel boxed in, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And especially if you if you're really a passionate, going back to again, you know, that Juliet said copy that fires you up. If you're passionate about something, then I think, you know, I've been doing it for more than seven years now. And I think it really, you're always going to find practices with, with different stories that you have to uncover, different X factors, all of the above. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a lot to, to talk about there. And I know we're actually going to come back to it a little bit in the second half of the interview. So I'll save my other comment about niching for when we get there. She also, Juliet also talked about like finding the platform that works for you. And we were talking about pitching, uh, you know, and getting yourself out there and what works for Juliet isn't going to work for everybody, but, uh, what works for somebody else isn't gonna work for Juliet. And so just knowing where your audience is, who you want to connect with the best places to connect. I think what Juliet shared was really interesting, especially the idea of the actually social call, you know, where you're approaching it and you're actually being social, taking the conversation maybe off of LinkedIn or off of Instagram or wherever that is and having a one to one conversation, whether that's on Zoom or in real life or something like that. I think what she shared with her whole process there was just uh, eye-opening in a lot of ways, uh, maybe taking how we engage with people in places like LinkedIn and taking it that extra step to creating relationships. And it's interesting, this is our second podcast in a row where we've really talked about creating relationships on social media. And so, it, you know, I, I'm starting to see a theme with a couple of our guests here.
1: Completely on point, Rob. And I think um, what I love, and I think what Juliet does is brilliant. And I just love this idea of her connecting, you know, on LinkedIn with her opening line, you know, about passion for music or, um, you know, what song should I listen to on my playlist? I think it's it's really smart. It's really brilliant. And I think the best part is, of course, yeah, it it helps with the the recipient whoever's receiving it to make, you know, it sounds so salesy, but it also takes the pressure off you as a copywriter. I think it's really um, relieving that pressure of, oh, I've got to write something really good and I have to spend heaps of time doing it. You know, you just... It's, as Juliet says, it's you being actually social. It's how would you just start a conversation. So it takes the pressure off you. And um, I really like that idea of low risk, small
0: touch point.
1: I've, I've never really heard of it. Exactly those words before, and I think it's
0: super smart. I'm glad you mentioned that, Nikita, because you know when you're talking about removing that pressure, I think so much of our outreach we're thinking about. I've got to land a client, I've got to land a project. What Juliet is doing here is so smart because, again, it's just about creating a friendship. It's just you know, it's really low key.
1: Yeah, and it also filters out um, the types of connections you don't want to have either. You know, if someone hits back with, you know, whatever type of comment that is just not aligned with you, you can immediately say, okay, well, you know, whatever their profile might look like, maybe as a person, they're not, um, you know, a good fit or even just as a connection, you know, they're not my type of person. And um, I think that's a a big takeaway as well is that we forget sometimes that these connections just are people. Um, It's so easy to get into the copywriter mode, as you said, Rob, and say, oh, you know, is this a potential client? Well, just a person. So music is a great in.
0: It's really good. For sure. One other thing that I know before we recorded, you mentioned this as we were trading some notes about this, is Juliet's approach of not having a strategy when it comes to social media, You know that casual approach. What is it that appeals to you about that?
1: I, I mean, it's very much how I approach LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I think I post daily, sometimes twice. Um, that's where my clients hang out. So I definitely identify with Juliet's strategy of not having a strategy, I think. One of the benefits of this, again, not even just kind of relieving that pressure of having to have everything mapped out, but it allows it to become a bit organic. Like if I have a thought and I think, oh, I wonder what architects would think of this. I'll just hop on. And again, it's that kind of social conversational, you know, I and it also time. It just means that I can hop on quickly, just write whatever's kind of come to my head. It might not even be A really formed idea yet. But I mean that's what the beauty of social media is, right? You can form your ideas kind of publicly and get feedback as well.
0: Yeah, I I like that approach too. I have seen strategies for, you know, getting out there on social media. I think it's not a bad idea to have a strategy, something that helps you as a framework, especially as you get started. But oftentimes the most real stuff is the stuff that comes to you as it's happening you know it's i read something this morning so now i want to comment on that or i saw something in my business that just happened or i had this interaction with the client and all of that stuff goes way beyond a set strategy
1: exactly let's go back to our interview with juliette and see how she sets boundaries in her business and the processes she has
0: in place to keep
1: her moving forward
0: So let's let's maybe shift the conversation just a little bit and talk about getting things done and how you do it in your business, because, you know, like all of us, there's there's challenges with family or partner, spouse, there's work stuff. So tell us about your process, the tools that you use and what you do to make sure that clients get what they need when they need it. And you also get time for everything that you need in your life.
2: Boundaries are huge here and I feel like that's been the biggest lesson that I've learned in my time as a business owner. One thing that I do is I do my very, very best to work with one client at a time, that means that I needed to start having my services include the revisions on my actual calendar. Because for a while, I was really in first draft mode, where I would say, okay, this person needs their first draft by the 15th, the next client needs their first draft by the 20th, the next client needs their first draft by the 30th. But then when I was like neck deep in my next project, and client number one came back with revisions, I felt super stressed out trying to get everything done. And so now my process, I try to work with one client at a time and I give that leeway and that room to really fully wrap up the project and give them my undivided attention until all is really said and done. The second part of that, as far as my onboarding process, and this was from, I think, Jill Wise in one of the retreats that we had in the think tank, was about sending proposals that expire in three days or three business days. And that has been such a game changer for me because fence sitters are such a bottleneck. And so when you are kind of leaving it up for grabs, your availability and your time, that's honestly asking for everybody to double book. Um, And that does not work for me. That does not work for my desire to work with one client at a time. And I think a lot of us feel like, but why not four days or why not two weeks? And I think Jill's advice was like, if they're ready, they're ready. If they're not, they can ask again. And so whenever a, pro- a proposal does expire, and they have notice that it's going to expire, I reach out the next day and I just say, hey, saw your proposal expired. Would still love to work with you. If you in the future need something, let me know and I will let you know my availability. And just kind of send that off. Um, But that process has been so helpful to just know who's working with me, who's not, okay, we're back on the marketing, you know, back on the marketing boat, looking for more clients if we need to be.
0: And specifically, what tools are you using to make that stuff happen?
2: I use Dubsado. So Dubsado has a like form expire uh, setting. So I use that. And then I guess other, I'm trying to think of other like tools that I use in my business. I have a VA. She's great at keeping me on task. So not a system, not a tool, but a human that helps me keep up with those things. But yeah, I'd say Dubsado is the biggest as far as breaking through that bottleneck.
3: And, you know, you and I have talked about some client projects that have gone wild, right? Clients gone wild and you've dealt with one or two. Uh, What are some of the lessons that you pulled from that experience or those experiences uh, that you could share with other copywriters?
2: Yeah. um, This is a great question because I've made peace at different times with different clients gone wild experiences. For one, the basic advice that every copywriter is giving you is true. Like they have been through it. So when someone says, make sure that you have a contract, they're saying it for a reason, make sure you have a contract because you will learn sooner or later that there are not all, you know, good faith, good willed clients that are going to do what they say that they will in the time that they say that they are going to do those things. So having a contract is huge. Um, I had a client who decided not to pay. I didn't realize that they actually hadn't signed their contract. Um, And so that was kind of a hot mess. And I was really just frustrated with that experience because throughout the project, they wouldn't give feedback, they would kind of like start their own second draft and be like, let's go this direction. And I'd be like, no, I need feedback on the actual copy. Um, and I felt like they kept kind of like grabbing the wheel. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. But anyway, that project ended, they didn't pay their invoice, I did have um, a demand letter sent to them, they way past 30 day window disputed it. But at that point, I had kind of already made peace that like, I'm not going to get paid from this. That's a bummer. I did what I felt like I needed to do as far as upholding what is good in the world and standing up for myself. And so I was happy that I sent the demand letter just for my own peace of mind that like I did something. I didn't just like lay down and take it. But at the same time they disputed it. That's fine for me. I'm like, you know, I don't want to give them any more space in my brain. So what's done is done.
0: Yeah, we all have one, right? Usually it only takes one. So you mentioned earlier that boundaries are huge for you, you know, experiences like that obviously help create boundaries. Are there any specifics that you can talk us through that, you know, it's like every single time, every single project, every single day, what, whatever that is, like clients cannot cross this boundary or, uh, you know, just some of the specifics that you've uh, set up in your business.
2: One of them I grabbed from another copywriter, which is that I do outline not only when their revisions are going to be due like for my own calendar, but I also have them sign in the contract that they're going to have to give me feedback by a certain time. And if they don't give me the feedback by that time, then the revision is forfeited. And I have found that to be incredibly helpful. And I feel like even... My clients that see that in the contract are like, oh, she means business. (laughs) And that's always a good sign that they're going to be ready and prepared from day one and not let that be something that, you know, they get to it 30 days later. They know like, hey, within a week, I need your feedback. And so that's a boundary that I uphold. And boundaries don't have to be, I think sometimes we think that boundaries are like rude or mean or aggressive. They're not. I very cheerfully am like, hey, I'm looking forward to your feedback tomorrow. And that's usually enough. It's just almost going above and beyond in your customer service to enforce those boundaries. And then I have in my onboarding document now, kind of some client expectations. And the very first one is words matter. That's the point. But I do have in there and I get into like how they can and or the do's and don'ts of good feedback. But one of them is like, realize that you are working with another human being who me as a copywriter takes my work very seriously. I care a lot about it. And so just as much as I'm going to be treating them with respect, I expect them to do the same for me. And for that, I think words matter because I know as a copywriter, there's been maybe one or two times where a client just said to me, like, you missed the mark. And that was the most unhelpful feedback of all time. And so that's something that's kind of in my boundaries, expectations is just be helpful, speak kindly. And that's a, a boundary that I have for myself to do for them too.
3: Yeah. And it seems so obvious, like we shouldn't have to state that, that words matter, be respectful. Um, but I think obviously like, people do forget. And um, so I think that's a really great way to start a project. Just like, I'm going to respect you, you're going to respect me, and this is going to go really well. So I think that's a great, great advice. I I want to go back to your brand coaching because um, I want to hear more about how you came up with that offer. You know, and started to transition away just from done for you services to I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to coach you through it. You know, what was the catalyst for that, and then how did you put that offer together? Yeah.
2: So one thing that I realized as far as trying to find a niche was that the people that I was enjoying working with were in industries that I would never choose as my niche, but they themselves were very strong voices and strong personalities. So one of my clients, he has a course on like legal and tax stuff. I would never in a million years choose to be like working with Tax attorneys in their niche, but he's super fun. And so I was like, oh, well, I love working for him. There's other clients that I've had that have been real estate agents, which has sometimes been a mixed bag. I don't want to write listings, but for the real estate agents that want to have a website or super personal emails, that's super fun for me. I have another client who does cybersecurity recruiting. Again, not something that I would choose as my niche, but really fun person to work with. And so Pulling out that common thread of personal branding kind of became my copywriting niche. Like my only parameter was psychographic. Like I want to write for people that have strong personal brands that they're already using a a strong voice. I somehow through that became known as a personal branding expert. And so I decided to just own it and make an offer for people who liked the idea, like they see the value in a personal brand, but they're not really sure how to do it themselves. And they get a little bit stuck. And that's where my personal brand coaching offers came, which are really kind of narrowed down to let's just start with your story. Like, we don't have to go fully into your website yet. We don't have to go into huge like launch campaigns or email campaigns. Let's just kind of nail down nail down like who you are, what you're about, why your work is so important to you, um, and then give you some ideas from there. So It's a lot more flexible of an offer as far as the deliverables. I customize it a little bit depending on the client, Um, but I find that that's a much smarter investment for them to kind of have the training wheels of their personal brand before investing into like a huge giant package that's going to be on the internet for like the next seven years.
0: And then once you complete a package like that, do you offer step two or do you, is there a discussion where it's like, how do we take what we just did and make this into a launch or into a website? Like what's, what's the evolution of that client relationship look like?
2: That's been really organic for me. So I'll have people come in, in one of those avenues and then hire me again later for something else. So either they've hired me for, for launch copy because they're promoting a new website or they're releasing a new offer. Um, And then that's kind of that runway. And then they'll come back later and decide, hey, I actually want to revamp this other part of my business. Um, So I haven't, again, really like diligently or strategically been hardcore on like the follow up of here's what we should do next. I kind of wait for them to come back for more. But I do have a lot of repeat clients who have hired me even just to write like their about page or their services page. And then they're like, okay, let's do everything. Let's open the floodgates.
3: Okay, so you mentioned you have a VA. You know, we get a lot of questions about VAs working with them. Oftentimes it does not go well the first with the first hire, sometimes the second hire. So what advice would you give to a writer who wants to have that type of support um, but doesn't know how to work with a VA um, or how to even approach working with a VA?
2: Yes. So I think we really get in our heads about working with VAs. We either think that they need to come in and just do everything and and revamp like everything in our business more like a business coach than a VA, or we're afraid that we need to be like a six figure earnings, massive CEO that's just like a super delegator that can tell them exactly what to do. Um, And my advice there is to look for someone who can be a little bit of a collaborator, someone that knows enough about strategy who can kind of point out some maybe gaps in your systems. Like if you really need a Dubsado specialist and they give you a huge proposal to do everything under the sun and you're not ready for that, ask them, can you just be around to help me figure this out a, a little bit? Um, that's what I did with my VA is she gave me a proposal for, you know, all things Dubsado. And I was like, can you just do executive handholding? Like, let me ask you questions. Um, let me still have my hands in it and try to figure it out. But once I get stuck, can can I divert to you? Um, and that's been really great. And then also be open to the relationship evolving. So my VA is a Dubsado specialist. She also is just a funnel specialist and she does great design in Canva. And so there's been some months where she's helped me like update my Dubsado workflow. And then I said, hey, I want to do an onboarding doc. And I wrote the copy and she made it look pretty. There's been other times where I was like, Hey, I want to do a type form quiz that like feeds into my email. Can you make that happen in and Zapier? And, and she can do that. And so I feel very lucky and blessed to be working with her. Um, and she's so skilled that I can give her those different things. But I think just from a business owner's mindset, instead of thinking like, okay, I have to have a job description where like, you know, it's going to be 10 hours a week and they do these four things like let it evolve don't worry so much about it. Just work with somebody who is happy to work with you, and be flexible in that in that relationship.
0: So, as we're talking about letting things evolve, do you see your team evolving in any way? Will, will you grow? Are you content to stay where you're at? What does that look like?
2: Yeah. So I I don't know that I think of my team evolving necessarily, but I am now so much more open to bringing in experts and contractors for different projects. Um, I think that that is going to lead in the next couple of years to me having, some small, having a, a bit of a small team that might do some client work. I definitely am not thinking about going like agency route, but for me, one of the bottlenecks that was getting um, kind of stuck in my business is I really like writing case studies about the work that I do with my clients, But that's something that at the end of my process was always like, okay, write case study. And then I would let it sit there. So I hired Asai and her team to write my case studies now. And so that's kind of another contractor that now is like semi on my team, kind of on a per project basis. Um, And then I also just put feelers out there to have a VA take some of my recorded like youtube videos um that i've done on like other people's shows like their linkedin lives and to start breaking that content down into digestible social media content you know 30 to 60 second clips and so once i get that going that might be some ongoing project work um and so i do feel like there's opportunity if my clients need stuff like that that maybe i'll just subcontract all of it um so maybe i'll go into that like maybe social media agency vibe but um Yeah, I see that there's growth. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And I'm not trying to run like a 100 person company, but we'll see what the future holds. Never say never. I know. Yes, Justin Bieber. (laughs) Never say never.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We'll bring you back when you have a 100 person company. Um, Okay, so I was going to ask about struggles because, you know, you've, you've done so many things, right? I feel like what I love about watching you build and grow is like if something doesn't go well figure it out, you fix it, it doesn't happen again. And you just keep doing that and building confidence and just growing. So what is a struggle today, that is a new struggle that you're trying to work out, even if you don't have the answers yet?
2: My new struggle is what is next? Like, I am someone who has so many ideas, and wants to grow so fast, I feel like I'm the third, uh, I'm the third child and youngest. And so I feel like I've always had this desire to like catch up to everybody else. Um, so I always feel like I have the visual map of how to get there. It's just, how can I viably get there? Um, and so I was talking about this on a call earlier. It's like, well, my brain says this is what we're doing next, but my wallet says we're not. (laughs) Um, but I, I try to take those struggles as opportunities and think through, well, what could I do that could maybe fund this? Um, and I don't know, just experiment. And I'm, I'm doing so many things that I never thought that I would do. Like I have a digital product. And I think a lot of copywriters, I just want to say like, this is like my love note to young copywriters is you can do fun things that you want to do. And they are special and they are unique and people do want them. Um, and don't be afraid or think that you have to like reach a certain level to be able to put those things out into the world.
0: I love how Kira asks for your struggles and you turn it all positive. Sorry.
2: I didn't mean to. I, (laughs) I hate my life. I'm just kidding. No. Um, I just, I think the struggle is trying to keep up with the opportunity and that sounds so like privileged. That's
3: that's where you're at right now. That's, I mean, that's a real struggle. Yeah.
2: That's that's my current struggle. I'm, I mean, there have been weeks of like completely dry, no clients at all. Is this ever going to go anywhere? And so, Um, I'm, I'm glad to be in some very positive struggles with like growing pains, but it is also a different uncertainty, uncertainty of like, what if I do decide to make the next investment to like, get to the next level and it doesn't work. Like there's always going to be the fear of the unknown and the uncertainty, but I'm just the type of person that's going to keep chasing it.
0: Okay. So keeping it positive, then what are some of the best things that you've done for your business as you look back, the the things you're like. I, that was, that was a really smart mover. This is the thing that I'm most proud of.
2: This sounds so conceited, but I really am proud of myself for showing up as myself. So personally and so authentically, um, I, my husband used to laugh because we have a, we have a, indoor camera in our living room so we can like keep tabs on our dogs and I used to change my shirt like four times a day depending on the client that I was meeting with and he was always like what are you doing and I was just like I don't know and so honestly like the day that I showed up to a client meeting in a shirt like this or showed up to which I'm wearing a t-shirt like a graphic tee um went to networking meetings wearing ripped jeans and like survived and made a a better personal brand out of it. Um, I really am proud of that because there's so much imposter syndrome in me that to kind of overcome that and, and do it anyway and say like, you know, I'm not worried about what people are thinking has been a huge personal win. Um, and I just to look back at like the Juliet who was working in corporate America and felt so unfulfilled and so passed over because i I was young. I wasn't, um, I didn't really have a lot of experience and I wasn't like trying to dress up in blazers like everybody else was. Um, I'm really proud that my rebellious spirit has allowed me to have an autonomous business that I really love and thrive in. Um, I'm also just really proud of my clients. And I know that like so many people say that, but seeing my clients be able to create more things and enjoy their businesses more because of the work that we do together is so exciting for me. And I love just like looking back through my portfolio and then being like, Oh, what are they doing now? And just checking up on people and seeing them happy in their businesses because they've been able to let their walls down is is a huge win. You
3: know, we just um, spent some time with you in New Orleans with our Think Tank Mastermind retreat, which was so fun and so um, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what what did you get out of that retreat specifically, or you know, more broadly, what did, what are you getting out of the think tank? For anyone who might be interested in being a part of a mastermind.
2: Oh my goodness! Thank you for asking this. The think tank is so good. If y'all remember, like, just the Copywriter Club Facebook group, that was one of my kind of very first communities to understand like that copywriters actually make livings. And just the same way that in there, I would ask questions probably like multiple times a day. I've done the same thing, (laughs) even in the think tank. And it's just so helpful to be asking questions and get answers from people who are just like a couple steps ahead of you. Um, And so I will say out of the retreat, it was helpful to just hear. And I feel the same way about when I went to TCC IRL um, last year, it's so helpful to just peek behind the curtain about how people are working in their businesses and also the struggles because I really had a hard time with comparisonitis where like I would look at a copywriter's website who was charging like a $1,000 when I was charging $200 and thought like, well, they have the best life in the world. And then, you know, the next level of like, okay, well, they do launch copies, so I should do that. And they're charging... Three thousand, and then okay, well, this copywriter is charging seven thousand, and just always thinking that they have it all together. When you're in the think tank, you see just as much of the struggles as you do the do the wins. So you see, you know, twelve k month followed by I just lost all my clients. And being in that community and knowing that you're not alone, but also knowing that everybody is there to help you and support you, is just life changing. And then the retreat too. I will say Leanna Patch spoke about speaking. And that was so helpful for me to just kind of demystify that like, I am worthy and belong in the rooms that I want to speak in. And to kind of, again, get over that imposter syndrome and think like, well, I have to be a copywriter with 10 years of experience, and I have to be invited to speak. And no, it's like, if you just want to go do something, go do something. That was probably one of my biggest takeaways.
0: So coming away from that experience, what's next for you in your business? What are you working on?
2: I am working on being everywhere. I, I really want to be everywhere. Like that's why I'm like trying to contract a video editor to like repurpose my content. I'm ready to blow up YouTube and Instagram, maybe TikTok. I don't know. My presence there is very on and off. Um, I am looking forward to being on more podcasts. I'm like so grateful to be here. Um, And then also some more speaking engagements. I did one for my co-working space in Greenville, and that was really fun. And so I'm just kind of very open to whatever is next. But I specifically, I feel like I've gone through the stages of copywriting where it's like, I got a client. Awesome. Now I know what my offers are. Awesome. And now I'm figuring out what my marketing is. Awesome. And so that's kind of where I'm focused now.
3: Yeah, and the great thing about what you're doing with visibility is you also are really good at posting and sharing your speaking gigs. At least from what I can see on your website, you have a page dedicated to all of the podcasts you've been on, um, the speaking opportunities. It's really well organized, so that you aren't just doing it, but you're showing up as a speaker. Um, I think that's a it's a really great example for anyone listening to check out your website and how you're positioning yourself as a as a speaker. I. Have one final question. I think it's my final question. Um, Why do you hate high fives? Oh my goodness. Okay.
2: (laughs) This is so, okay. This is really personal. So um, I grew up in a religious school. And so one of the rules was basically like no touching, but like we were allowed to high five. So boys and girls were allowed to high five. And the amount of high fives because that was like all we were allowed to do was just way too much and so I'm just high fived out for like the next two decades of my life and like a fist bump is okay I feel like that's less intense but for me high fives were just like a ridiculous excuse to like make everything exciting and I just got (laughs) burned out from high fives and yeah I just I will say if somebody asks for a high five I will give them the first one and then let them know like by the way, I hate high fives and I'm not going to be doing that again. And they're like, oh, okay. So I won't let somebody hang yeah. The first one is free because I don't want to be rude and disrespectful. But like after that, that is my boundary that like you get that one. And
3: so hold on to it. I hope I didn't give you a high five at the retreat. I don't think, I don't I
2: do. think we've high fived. Now that's like going to be on my bucket list to high five you because I feel like that would be I don't cool. think okay. I really
3: high five either. So I like, okay, I'll do it. Perfect. People high five you, but I'm not a high five. When,
0: when Kira asked that question, I'm like, oh, it'll be funny. I'll high five you next time. But now I don't want to. It feels it feels like a violation of some sort.
2: So. I mean, you'll get the first one free. It's just,
0: oh. I'd, rather it's hug.
2: I'd much rather hug than. Yeah. I'm good with fist bumps. I'm good with hugs. It's just high fives. I don't know. Plus, you know, people don't get them right half the time. So it's like, why are we doing awkward? Very awkward. All
0: right, Julia, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, hug, fist bump, but not high five, where should they go?
2: Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always there. Um, Juliet P is my name, so they can find me on LinkedIn and then also my website, your personal I have a really fun quiz on there where they can see how personal their personal brand really is. Um, so that's kind of a fun thing that they can try out, but yeah, I would love to hang out with any copywriters or anybody that wants to hug or fist bump.
3: We appreciate you and everything you shared today. Thank you, Juliet. Thanks so much.
0: So that's the end of our interview with Juliet P.A. Before we go, there were a couple of other things that stood out to us that I think we want to talk about, highlight, uh, at least stuff that stood out to me. And I think speaking for the both of us, Nikita. So one of the comments that Juliet made is just this idea of having shorter deadlines for proposals. You know, oftentimes we'll say, oh, well, oftentimes we forget to put a deadline on them at all. And so occasionally we'll see clients coming back, you know, a year later saying, okay, I'm ready to start. And you're like, well, my prices have changed and my, my projects have changed. But, you know, those of us who have started doing proposals with deadlines, usually we're setting them two or three weeks out. And Juliet's even suggesting maybe that's too long, like getting that initial response, you know, by the end of the week, within a few days, I think is something that I'm gonna try in my own business.
1: Yeah, me too, Rob. I thought it was brilliant. Like I've never, heard of three days before so mine is currently it expires after seven days um three days feels quite scary but i mean it makes sense right like even just to test out um because it's exactly how juliet says it can just push out the whole kind of timeline and you know you've got multiple proposals out there and things aren't lining up so yeah three days is it's really interesting and and i'm willing to give it a go i think i'm definitely going to try it out
0: I, I think when it comes down to creating that urgency, obviously, you know, two weeks, three months, a year, whatever, is way too long. And it gives you those follow-up opportunities. You know, day one, you can send that email. Hey, you know, do you have any questions about the proposal or what we talked about? You know, day two, just, you know, cleared my calendar. You know, I'm ready to, to book. You know, let me know. Day three, hey, just a reminder, it's about to expire. Like, there's reasons to jump in, I think, you know, and keep that conversation while your prospect is still warm and thinking about you. So, yeah, I like
1: That's and it's also perception as well. I think, Um, you know, it also gives that client perception that you've got other clients that are waiting, and so it might even might not be the reality. At least they're feeling like, okay, you know, this copywriter is really sought after, and um, you know, I better get my act together and either say yes or no.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else that stood out to you there, Nikita?
1: So yes, I, I will say again, and as you know, I, I do love a good niche, um, is the the personal branding, how Juliette mentioned across the industries um, and kind of, you know, the way she pivoted from coaching and working for people, um, you know, and she said you would never probably think of or wanting to niche in that kind of different industry. So I think um, Juliet's niche of, you know, psychographics is super interesting. I've actually, I don't know if I've heard of someone kind of frame it that way before.
0: Yeah, this is one of the things that, you know, we teach a lot in the accelerator. So many people get focused on niche as an industry, and obviously you've niched in an industry, uh, you know, people surrounding architects, architecture, but you can niche in so many other ways. You know, you can be the copywriter that delivers a particular kind of deliverable. So, you know, maybe sales pages or emails, and we've seen copywriters do that obviously Juliet niches by, you know, her personal branding and what she brings to the table. You can niche by voice, you can niche with values and the kinds of clients that you work with. So there's just so many ways to do it. And uh, I I like seeing other examples in addition to how you niche with an industry.
1: And I think also I, what Juliet said, um, you know, this idea of how she came to her niche, like how she was getting I guess, feedback from the market and people were asking her for this. So she then responded. Um, it always reminds me of that Seth Coden quote that's um, find the lock, then fashion the key rather than trying to have the key and, you know, try and find the client. So I find this flip really interesting. Um, and I think a lot of copywriters that start off and i me included were trying to try do it backwards. Um, but I really like Juliet's approach of trying to, okay, see what people like and then you know, create those services and the, the offerings around that.
0: I agree. And then, you know, when Juliet was talking about pivoting to coaching, working for people that, you know, she might not think of, you know, wanting to niche in their industry, it's just another kind of take on the same idea.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and that's, you know, it seems like Juliet throughout um, her career so far has been experimenting and, and trying out different things. And, and I also think that's just... I love that kind of that courage and the braveness to do that, rather than you know thinking she's just doing um, and experimenting and, and see and seeing what lands.
0: Later on in the conversation, Juliet was talking about being everywhere, and you know this is something that I've actually thought about quite a bit. You know, we've we've taught a program, you know, about uh, we call it the celebrity copywriter, but it's really about building your authority and showing up everywhere. And there's a difference between doing everything. And looking like you're everywhere. And when you show up in one channel consistently, kind of like what you do in LinkedIn, and then you follow that up with you know, an email a couple times a week or uh, you know maybe uh, there's one other place of contact, it starts to feel like you are everywhere, even though the reality is you're not. You're really only showing up in one or two places. But when you do it consistently you know, it, that, that challenge of being everywhere is so much easier to accomplish.
1: And as you said, I think it's really good. I almost see it as like, you have your one social media channel where you know where your clients are hanging out, whether that's LinkedIn or Instagram, and then you have yet another kind of secondary. Um, I always like kind of podcasting because it's audio and then you've got your LinkedIn, which is a little bit more kind of visual. Um, so just having that mix is, yeah, you do. And and what is it that you, can't remember, but I think it's like people need to see you three times or maybe seven, (laughs) something like that. There's got to be like seven touch points for people to remember who you are. So if you just keep doing that, then over time, as you said, Rob, it's, yeah, you will feel like you are everywhere.
0: Yeah, and, and especially you know when you think about a channel like LinkedIn or Instagram, it's not just the content you're putting out there, but if you start commenting, there's another place that you're showing up. You know, if you direct message somebody or you respond to messages, there's another place where you're showing up. And so even though you're not really stuck, but you're you're utilizing one channel primarily. Again, it it feels like you're bigger when you're doing it consistently. What happens, I think, is when we don't do it consistently, the algorithm doesn't show our content to very many people, you know, so we don't get a lot of comments, we don't get a lot of feedback, there's none of those conversations, and it's really hard. And so again, just that consistency over time just really helps. And something, again, you know, I I know I've said this already, but something you do really well.
1: Thanks, Rob. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with everything uh, you're saying.
0: And then just to, to, to go along with that, you know, at the very end of the conversation, we were talking uh, with Juliet about growing her business, showing up as 100% yourself. And I think this is one place where a lot of copywriters, they find a voice that they like or they find, you know, something that somebody else is doing and they try to mimic that it's not a horrible way to get started because you start to learn and you find your own voice by mimicking other people's voices, but ultimately you need to show up a hundred percent as yourself. And so whether you know that's that's rebellious, you know, doing things differently, whether that's, you know, fitting into a niche exactly as expected, whatever that is, if it feels naturally, I think, you know, doing that as a method for building your authority is smart.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. And I think what you said, right. Um, you know, in the beginning of that comment is, um, yeah, I think starting out, everyone does try on different kind of personas and identities. And I think that's just part of it, um, to find your own, you know, it's, I'm, it's pretty rare just to walk in and be like, okay, hey, I'm going to be 100% me, you know, you need to see what, again, lands, um, what's working. Um, and also, again, what you're, if you have decided on a niche what feedback you're getting. You know, for example, architects are very visual creatures. So if I ever put anything ugly out into the world, no matter even if it's the, the best copy I've ever written, it's just not gonna land. So you've got to, you know, kind of it's a bit of a mix. You don't know, obviously hundred percent authentically you, but at the same time, just getting that feedback from your ideal clients as well, I think is important.
0: Absolutely. That's great advice. We want to thank Juliet P.A. for joining us on the podcast and pulling back the curtains on her business. If you want to connect with her, you can find her at yourpersonalbrandcoach.com or find her on LinkedIn at Juliet P.A., which we'll link to in the show notes. And be sure to check out her quiz when you visit her page. And I want to thank my co host for these comments, Nikita Morrell, for joining me today. As I mentioned earlier, you, sh- uh, you should definitely check out our interview with her. That was episode number 136. We talked a lot about creating a successful copy business in a single niche, as well as all kinds of other things. I think we even talked about weaving at one point, if I'm not mistaken, Nikita. She's the master at both of those things. So be sure to check her out and connect with her.
1: And that's the end of the episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make
2: you lots of money.